Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the NASPA Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, V. Chanu, and I'm joined today by my lovely and talented production team of Brittany DeVise, Anna Mai, and Derek Pacheco. How is everybody? Good. That's good. I was both concerned that nobody would say anything and that you would all start chiming in at the same time, which is like the common Zoom phenomenon, right? Like nobody knows what to say, except that except when we all decide to talk at the same time. Kind of felt like an undergrad just smiling at you through Zoom. Yeah, it feels a little bit like class to the degree that people still come to virtual class and like have their cameras on Mm -hmm. (laughs) and their microphones open. Well, today's episode is very special because we are finally back. Uh, from our extended and somewhat unexpected hiatus. Uh, We want to thank all of our listeners for sticking with us and continuing to support the podcast despite our absence. As we gear up for the second half of our season, we thought it might be a good idea to check in with the team and see what everybody's been up to. How does that sound, gang? Awesome. Perfect. I'm here for it. Uh, Derek, since we don't get to hear a lot from you in the individual episodes, I thought maybe we could start with you. Could you tell us a little bit about what you've been up to? Yeah, V, of course. Well, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a second year PhD student in the higher education program at Florida State. So that takes up probably 85% of my time, as many of our other listeners that may be graduate degrees, whether it be at any level, fully understand. Um, but besides that, I've been, you know, working on myself. I said the word for 2023 for me is going to be protecting, protecting my peace, protecting my relationships, protecting my sanity right throughout this whole process. Um, So I've just mainly been doing up to that, doing a lot of work with the Leadership Learning Research Center, like teaching and then being able to engage with some really cool folks like y'all. So I'm excited to see where this year takes me personally um, and excited to see um, all the change that we'll have throughout all of us individually. You've also been doing quite a bit of traveling. Do you mind talking about some of the places you've been and what you've been, why you've been traveling in the first place? (laughs) Yeah, so I am, thankfully, I'm able to serve as a facilitator or volunteer with um, different organizations around, really, they're international organizations, but um, throughout the United States. So I get to travel to a bunch of college campuses and specifically give presentations on mental health awareness or diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, and a lot of different unique opportunities to travel. Recently, I've been able to go to Indianapolis to help facilitate um, a conference that I was able to go with Brittany, and she'll explain a little bit more into all of this as well. Been able to visit a few college campuses with this opportunity. So I'm very grateful to be able to travel and not only travel, but also as an educator at the end of the day, educate um, people who are looking for that kind of outlet, right? To understand a little bit more about the world that may be outside of their quote unquote bubble. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of your educational role, uh, you've been teaching as well. You were just telling me before the start of the call, I think before some of the other folks were even able to join us that what, what did you, you were missing 11 of 17 students one day this yes. semester. Is that... Many days this semester, (laughs) but I think it's like how we were talking before this recording. It was the, the shift in culture, I think is a big kind of conversation piece to all of that. Not only is it the shift in culture in terms of like our like demographics, but I also think um, the state of Florida is a very interesting case study right now, if anybody's interested in all of that. Um, So I think it's important to also understand that there's a shift not only in students' mindset, but also in the expectations of instructors. And I especially think the expectations of graduate instructors um, that are also graduate students, because we're also navigating both of those roles, right? Of serving as that instructor, also serving as a student, while also serving as a good steward of our programs and organizations that we represent and all the kind of conversations that we have under that. So I think it's a big, we're like juggling a lot of hats. And I don't Mm -hmm. think that's necessarily a bad thing. 
Um, but you can definitely see that reflected when we are in teaching, when we're in researching or in a bunch of different spaces. But I do think I'm very glad that my classes are in person, though. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of us can applaud that as educators. I think many of us like that in-person experience, um, although it's not everybody. So that at least I'm excited that I get to feel safe and enter a classroom and be able to engage in the way that I engage best um, with students, participants, guest speakers that I bring in and everybody of that sort. Yeah, Florida is absolutely a state to watch. I mean, it sort of always is, right, for for good or for ill. Um, but now is no exception to that. And we'll probably end up talking a little bit more about that uh, as we get updates and future plans from from all of our production team members today. I also think it has a little bit to do with, uh, you know, curricular positioning, right? Maybe there's something different happening in, say, colleges of education as opposed to business schools or engineering programs. Um, so for those of you that are out there that are in varied curricular contexts, we would love to hear from you. Uh, stop us at a conference or at a meeting anywhere you might see us in a in a zoom call and we'd love to chat and hear more kind of about what your world has been like and whether or not you're seeing some of the same kinds of things uh we're certainly seeing that here at the u of i in the ag college we're seeing it at florida state in the ed school so you know it's happening all over uh, not to be outdone Brittany, you have also been quite busy can you share with the audience a bit about what you've been doing yeah, to build off of what Derek said, um, I've also had some some of that. And I think springs are really hard. I think we always try to like hype up fall, but I think springs are particularly difficult to come off of a shorter break um, and kind of just hit the ground running because you're supposed to just kind of continue what you were doing in fall. Um, so my students and I kind of do like a, what we call trench checks, like how in the trenches are you and what does the trenches look like um, and how close are you to the light of out of the trench? So I have a student who's been in the trenches for three weeks. So we're really hoping and manifesting she finds the light soon out of the trench. But some of that I think is our students are just having a particularly hard time adjusting back and I know I was just talking about this last week with a colleague, but I think, you know, we talked a lot in in student affairs of how faculty and staff are responding to coming out of COVID. And I think we talked a little bit about students with, you know, some mental health stuff and other things too, but not truly like the socialization adjustment that they're having as they come back to our classrooms. And leadership education is typically pretty relational and you've got to talk to one another and get up and be on your feet and be writing on whiteboards and doing activities and collaboration. And um, I think our students lost some of that socialization and I think we're having to teach them from scratch of like, I just didn't the other day come up and clarify instructions that were intentionally vague because they thought they were doing all of it wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And not being able to lean into like the creativity and challenge of some of that to adaptive learning. So on the teaching side, I'm still teaching gender and leadership and um, I'm teaching an online contemporary issues course with a colleague and then I'm teaching our um, master's practicum course, which is also fun. We're going to four institutions in March. That'll be able to give some good updates on what leadership education looks like there once we get to that point too of some of our colleagues um, in the state of Florida as well. But in other news, I submitted a book since hey. we chatted last. Mm-hmm. Um Rooted and Radiant Women's Narratives of Leadership is officially submitted to Information Age Publishing. It will be out hopefully August, September, October, sometime in that fall deadline. Um, but it is a collaborative, co-edited book of 17 chapter authors and 39 undergraduate women narratives um, that are authored by um women from five different campuses across the country um, that just write about their experience of learning leadership and what leadership look like for them as they um, grew up, came to college, navigated identity capacity and efficacy conversations. So it is, um, in my humble opinion, it's just a really wonderful read and hopefully a helpful tool for both leadership educators and for undergrad women um, who find it to be a good resource and place of solace um, as they continue to navigate those challenges. So 
keep an eye out for that. We're hoping we'll get to talk more this semester as we um, move along about what is in that book and, and what we learned from it and all that too. So, and then I also, um, in less than a month, we'll submit a dissertation. So I decided hey. to do both of those at the same time, which was super fun. <laughs> um, so I actually have my last interview right after this for data collection, but I'm already deep into data analysis and trying to figure out what the heck we see. And I've been co-writing alongside as I've been going along with my own memos and and all of that jazz. So we're just in the trenches of all of that, but in a good way of finally, after four years of talking about doing data collection and what my topic was going to be actually finally having it is it's a really like wonderful feeling I'm sure Dr. Anna can talk about this too but the the brilliance of like having it finally but also being like really overwhelmed by having it finally because you talked about what you thought you were going to see for so long and like why you thought it was important and wanting to do it justice um so sitting in a bit of that as I've been writing up chapter five of like how do I give justice to the women's voices and knowing how important this topic is I've written about it for four years and also like just as Kathy would say, needing to get it done, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> At some point, you just need to do it and put it down um, and making sure it's out there. So that's the update on there. So we'll have a defense date sometime and I can share on the podcast, hopefully once that's that's all in and everything too. Um, I talked about teaching. I'm also still writing, which has got to slow down, but we're, we're <laughs> finishing up some writing projects. Luckily, I'm on a bit of a hiatus where people are editing things until really dissertation is done. But um, V, you and I are writing a piece that we could talk a little bit about more later um, for kind of where um, some pedagogical stuff in leadership education is headed. And we're doing some pieces on CRLL that we could talk about more. And then um, just submitted a collaborative piece with Dr. Julie Owen and some uh, group that we did with focus group with on where we think the LID model is heading that I learned a ton from my colleagues on where how we're using it, what's still applicable, especially how undergrads are feeling about LID um, across the country and where we're kind of seeing in our classrooms that conversation head. So um, some of that's coming up. And then we just submitted um, a white paper to NASPA too about some of our gender course and a case study we did there too. So hoping to see some good stuff come to fruition that are long projects in the making. Um, and it's similar to Derek, I'm trying to do some traveling between all of this too. So since we talked last, I went to Montreal, which was a great visit. Mm -hmm. And some other places too, but really trying to lean into the celebration of a spring because I usually dread a spring mm -hmm. semester. So trying to celebrate finishing up and graduating and defending and everything in between that happens in a very short spring semester mm -hmm. before you graduate college after 10 years. <laughs> a real with quick wrap with up. multiple degrees. <laughs> yeah, a real quick landing of the plane. That's right. That's right. I wanted to to go back and ask you a couple of things about- Tell me. Some of the things that you were just talking about. Uh, so I think a little bit about you were talking about the the ambiguity we sometimes build into leadership educational experiences, right? And mm -hmm. that that's supposed to be developmental. It's supposed to be projective. It's it's ambiguous by design, right? We mm -hmm. we do that on purpose. And yet, when it lands on a group of students who are not prepared for it, or what I, what I suspect is happening is there's a type of ambiguity burnout that people mm -hmm. are experiencing because when we are managing these really unclear and unforeseeable consequences and expectations in our normal everyday lives, when we show up as students to a classroom, to only face more of that mm -hmm. is re-traumatizing in a way, right? Like I don't know the rules in my regular life and then I come to school and I don't know the rules here either. I just feel like I never know what the rules are. So I'm curious, like, do you have thoughts on that? Like, do you think mm -hmm. that is something that's happening to students, maybe even to us uh, in the world in general? Like, can can dissonance's pedagogy have a downside? And is that downside, you know, ambiguity burnout? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I understand students' hesitation, right? They spent this group that I'm teaching is primarily sophomores and juniors. So they would have been what, late high school, mm-hmm. mid high school um, when COVID hit. And I think, you know, if we learned nothing else from COVID, it was on adaptive leadership, right? Like every day <laughs> was a different answer. It was uh-huh. a different solution. It was something else we had to be doing. And if we weren't doing it correctly, right, what were the repercussions of not doing it correctly? Well, you're spreading a virus, you could be harming other people, right? There was a lot of, there was a lot on the line. And I think for young um, people, that was a lot to carry, right? Like usually you're, you know, well-established in your career by the time you're holding that much responsibility in your hands, your individual hands. I think COVID as a case study, right, was this idea of like everyone was just as responsible most of the time for the wellness of others and themselves and health and safety and some big conversations that no longer was like, is your student orgs event going to go well? Um, it was this kind of big piece too. And and I think some of that has translated now. So I think when students often don't love the ambiguity of instructions or um, I just did the Zoom activity two weeks ago, which for folks who aren't familiar, it's a book from the 1990s. Um, Dr. Jenny Batchelder introduced it to LRC as a really good teaching tool, but it's a puzzle that has 40 pieces. And it's this idea it zooms out from a like the world, like a little tiny, um, it looks like a moon, but it's the earth. And it zooms all the way into like the top of a chicken. Um, but it goes like into a cruise ship that goes into a magazine that goes in and, and the students have to get these puzzle pieces. And they only have, you know, my class is smaller. So they have two or three pieces each and they don't make sense together. So they have to collaborate with each other and asking yes, no questions. They can't look at each other's. Mm-hmm. So they don't have the full picture. They don't have all the information they need. They have to find it from other people. And for that, I think it's really hard for them to rely on other people because for a long time mm-hmm. they couldn't do that, yeah. right? As they were learning leadership as as younger um, people. So I think when they struggle with that, it's it's really good debriefing at the end of it and the kind of the metacognition of understanding like what just happened and what do we take from it. But I think it is the like they grew up in a space of learning leadership where they couldn't necessarily always rely on other people um, and trying to figure out like how they do it on their own. So they got really individualistic and now trying to bring them back to collectivist can be a really fun challenge. But I think usually it's not because they don't care to or I think what used to be that they really wanted to get it right. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it has been so long in college trying to be sure they were always getting things right to getting all A's, mm-hmm. being in every org they can, having successful whatever, being an Eagle Scout or whatever it was that they had to get everything right. Um, so I think it's less of that. I think now it's more of learning to trust these people mm-hmm. that you don't know that well or to be successful is is a hard like relying on other people mm-hmm. is really hard. So I think that's where I'm seeing some of that growth coming, at least in my space. Yeah, I think um, that last comment you were just making about trust as a precursor to learning or just like functioning in the real world. In my head, I have this idea now of, of this uh, teaching at the speed of trust, right? And how we cannot mm-hmm. actually take people to a place that they're not willing to go, not because they're not ready, but because the relationship between us and them as learners and us as instructors isn't primed to manage the load that learning, that teaching and learning is, right? And to recognize yeah. it as, you know, an intellectual load, uh, an emotional load in some cases, a physical load. And if you haven't built the infrastructure, you can't carry it. You can't do the work, right? If work mm-hmm. equals force times distance, we can't go any distance if we're not trusting that everybody's going to carry carry the load. Yeah. And yeah. now you have that on a podcast so people know it's your idea. Yeah. Steal this, I- <laughs> Steal this idea or yeah. don't. Just contact Good me. Good luck. We'll do this together. Yeah, that's right. There's a recording, a time-stamped recording of when <laughs> Dr. V said that was something he was going to write. Yeah, so right. now you're accountable. Well, I never said I, I wanted to write. I just said it, it should be. Sure. Good. Sure, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. And last but by no means least, we have Dr. Anna Maya. How has life been treating you, Anna? Uh, yeah, it's been it's been great. It's been a different 
sort of part of this journey now that the PhD is complete. And I graduated in December, so it's been really exciting. I'm really leaning into my role. So I work full-time at University of Tampa and a student affairs role. So we are going through our accreditation process right now as a university. And that's um, been something I started getting really involved in. So a lot of detail, a lot of collaboration with different departments within student affairs to make sure that we're submitting the correct information and also a lot of assessment data. So part of my role is chairing our strategic planning and assessment team for our division. So that's been a really cool way of tying in my assessment knowledge. And also, I just love working with other people. So it's been a great opportunity to evolve that further. We actually did a strategic goals, focus areas, mission, vision, revisioning for our student affairs division. And that took a lot of work and a lot of time. So I would say the the beginning of the spring semester has been really focused internally and what we're doing, but really I'm looking forward, what should we we really be focusing on as student affairs practitioners? And a lot of that is well-being oriented for our students right now. And I think that's such a huge part of leadership education too, is attending to you know, the holistic development of our students, but how are how are they learning to be um, individually resilient, but also collectively resilient? So some of these areas of well-being tying back into leadership ed has been really an interesting lens for me this semester as I think about our work. And then I had an article come out in November, which is really exciting for the Journal of Leadership Studies. It's called Unmodeling the Way. So really reflecting on the complexities of leadership educator identity and how we facilitate um, culturally relevant content. And that's been on my mind, even post this article going out, what is my identity and my positionality when I come into this work, navigating the complexities of presenting students with alternate ways of leading and engaging in leadership, but also struggling to make sure that I reach out to every student in the room. Mm -hmm. And then now that my dissertation is over, like thinking about, you know, the future and what's next and exploring other avenues. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing that. And uh, only only as a mild spoiler, uh, we will have an episode coming up this season of the podcast where we spend like an hour together, right? Anna, just talking about your study, what you did, what it means, how you intend uh, on people using it. So you've got, you will have your own little area carved out where you get to talk directly to our audience about what you've been working on. And hopefully as you are, you know, maybe traveling the spring and even into the summer and next fall, as people run into you, um, they can talk to you more about what you've been doing, how they can use it in their own shops and areas, and how you might actually be able to partner with some folks on some of the things that either they're working on and you're working on to expand everybody's reach and impact. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. Um, One of the things we didn't get a chance to talk about on that episode was kind of you, Anna, and like the the process that you went through and how you've changed and grown as a result of, you know, massive writing projects and finishing a terminal degree. You know, it's often said that all research is a little bit of me search, right? Whether it's me searching for myself in the content or me finding myself in the process. So I'm really curious when you think about the dissertation writing experience and maybe all of your sort of, you know, terminal degree education, what, what did you learn about yourself that you maybe couldn't have known if you had not embarked on this particular part of your journey? I know that's sort of a, <laughs> it's a tough it's question and, and I didn't prepare you for it either, <laughs> which is good because <laughs> you, you can be honest in the moment, but yeah. Really leading into the metacognition today. I know. Really, right? really um, getting there. Metacognition Monday. Am I right? 
Yeah. <laughs> Love Should it. Should that be a theme now? <laughs> Maybe. A little segment. Yeah. Um, I I guess that just the endurance piece of, mm-hmm. of all of this work and being able to still have that level of commitment even outside of working full time for me was was just very interesting and and still somehow finding time to make friends to to connect with others and build relationships outside of work and school which has mm-hmm. been really interesting i think now i'm mourning having such large source of of learning happening mm-hmm. uh, that i was just exposed to so much new information and and that has to be even more self-driven but the really the internal drive that it takes maybe I've never run a marathon but maybe that's the same thing like the psychological aspect of like Mm -hmm. being it's a mental thing right Mm -hmm. talk about when they run a marathon so I think with this too it's the psychological element of like wow I can do this Mm -hmm. now that it's over though I'm like how did I do that I have no idea. Mm-hmm. So it also seems like a blur. Maybe it's because once we go through trauma, we yeah. like store it away. <laughs> um, so yeah, it happened and I can't believe it. Um, how did I fit everything in? Yeah, it's the traumatic amnesia of writing that only re-triggers yeah. when reviewer number two says something. And then we realize we've been carrying around all of this baggage from not just our last writing project, but from every writing project we've ever had. Dr. B and Dr. Anna, can I add in something too as someone nearing finish line? I, I wonder if our listeners would get value from this, but something no one told me before I went into it, especially the data collection phase, mm-hmm. is how much of your dissertation process is not in your control. Mm-hmm. Because the whole time you're in the doc process, they keep saying like, right, this is your time. It's your topic. It's your passion. You set a lot of the deadlines, whatever it may be. But there's so many bureaucratic processes and things are just totally out of your control. So my data collection should have taken probably three or four weeks and it took three and a half months because mm-hmm. I'm collecting from undergrads. I didn't get IRB approved until early November. Then it was Thanksgiving break. Then they came back for one week of classes, finals, a five week winter break, and then trying to um, track down undergrads for all of the phases of my data collection in there. So I think for folks that are listening, they especially are in the graduate school process and maybe in a thesis or dissertation phase, just know that if you are feeling some of that tension, that was something no one told me. Mm-hmm. And it took until I was here to be like, a lot of it is like, running and waiting and like you're running mm-hmm. you're sprinting and then you're waiting yes. you're defending and doing irb and then you're waiting for it to be approved and then you're sprinting to collect data and then you're waiting on people responding and a lot of that is just navigating that momentum shifts um and that usually they're not your choice because i think a lot of times when people talked about people not finishing on time or finishing early it was all seemed like choice language and a lot of that mm-hmm. is not there so folks are struggling with some of that just know I wanted to give some solidarity because I know V and Anna you both ran into some of that with IRB processes or mm-hmm. data collection or just other things too so wanted to offer some solidarity to listeners who might be feeling some of that tension yeah absolutely yeah. And I think that also extends, you know, there there are people out there who are faculty members now or aspiring faculty mm-hmm. members. I don't think that what you just described actually goes away. And I remember, you know, during my administrative career, my vice provost used to say all the time that one of the great things about being a faculty member was academic freedom. And mm-hmm. that he kind of sold me on that idea. And one of the driving factors behind me doing everything that I did afterward, right? getting a PhD, getting a faculty job, doing all that stuff. But it, it was the same, but I faced the same tension of like, yeah, I have academic mm-hmm. freedom, but there are still boundaries 
boundaries. There are still limits. There's still regulation. It is often a hurry up and write this manuscript and then turn it in and wait months for a review or mm -hmm. hurry up and write this grant proposal and wait months for feedback or hurry up and write this conference proposal and then wait months to figure mm -hmm. out whether or not you've been accepted. So that that cycle of hurry up and wait Um I don't think ever really goes away. You you may be right in that perhaps we don't do a great job of preparing people for that. Yeah. But I will say the more times I encounter it, the better I get at it and the less, I guess, personally impacted I feel when I do hurry up to do something and then the effect is dramatically delayed from my own action or activity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for those of us that, that are highly productive or in my case, strive to be highly productive <laughs> uh, while I'm waiting on one project, I'm just working on something else, right? Like I often yeah. don't have time to ruminate or overly obsess over not uh, hearing back from something or not getting feedback in a particular time frame because I've got something else that I now that I, that now needs me to hurry up on. Mm -hmm. And then when I'm waiting on that project, I've got something else that, or maybe something has come back to me. Yeah. So on some level, Anna, you were just talking about the weight or keeping the plates spinning of like, well, I've got my administrative career, but I've got my scholarly development and oh, friends and family, you know, anytime mm -hmm. something is on the back burner, that just makes room in the front burner. <laughs> I'm yeah. curious, do you, do you agree with that? Does that sound, D Derek is, is also nodding vigorously. You all can't see it, but we can see. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I, I do think that that was a huge challenge, Brittany. I, I couldn't agree more. For me, I just learned that those were the moments I would have fun. The yeah. weight was when I was like, okay, I shouldn't feel guilty. I shared with you all earlier that like, I met my girlfriend during the IRB process because that's when I had time to start dating, right? Like, <laughs> so you really find these moments that um, where you can enjoy life. And I think it's hard when there are other people that come, you know, raising a family or coming along with you that have to work with you in your ebbs and flows. That's definitely a challenge. But if you can, maybe use it for fun as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Dr. Melissa Rocco gave me a piece of uh, feedback is love feedback the other day. Um, mm -hmm. We were talking about summer plans, right? And I was like, I am cranking through to spring. And I was like, and then I really want to focus summer between um, waiting for jobs or whatever's next um, on getting this thing to publication. Because I know sometimes it's really hard when people sit on it for too long and it becomes data data or mm -hmm. um, you just lose momentum or you're not in it as much. So I was like, I want to do that this summer. And she goes, or you could rest. Like that's also an option, yes. right? Like, and it was a beautiful piece of feedback at first. I was like, no. And then I took it and sat with it. And I was like, I can, right? And I think sometimes it's like, Anna, like you're saying, it's a balance of both, right? Like it's sometimes you still need to be like somewhat in it, right? To keep it moving forward. But I, it was like, oh yeah, like I hadn't, this sounds silly, but like I hadn't contemplated breasts happening this summer. And I think it's just because I'm still in the trenches of it um, that I'm like, oh, it just won't be done until it's done. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, that also included some of summer rewriting and trying to submit to publication. But I was like, oh, rest is an option. Mm -hmm. It is an option. And maybe one I should really consider. Yeah, that's really good advice. Probably yeah. for all of us, most of the time. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Ever any of us are thinking, what should I be working on right now? Oh, rest. That that could be a good thing too. Yeah. Let Dr. me check that. Out I'm just kidding. Yeah. Let's all add rest our agenda yeah. for at least today and this week. That's right. Task one, <laughs> rest. Task two, rest. Task three, rest. That would be great.
Dr. V, we haven't even heard your updates. We got in the trenches of the metacognition of rest and the trauma of dissertations. And what the heck is up with you? Oh, that's, you know, in the spirit of fairness, I should share a little bit about me. In the past few months, I've been working with Dr. Kathy Guthrie at Florida State University on our third social justice Yay. leadership education book. Ha- we had no idea we would get the three, but here here we are. I don't uh, think you're ending at three. That's just my <laughs> theory. But yeah, the, I secretly am like, is this, does the trilogy end here? Here or do we just start yeah. another is this like a marvel thing like do we start a new phase i don't know what happens yeah. next but i'm trying to take this <laughs> you're running out of titles though so speaking of titles <laughs> we are calling the third book committing to action which i feel like fits really nicely with uh changing the narrative from 2018 and 2021 shifting the mindset i've also been working on a few new directions for student leadership articles i've got one that i'm working on with dr maritza torres on a prying uh, critical perspectives to models of leadership identity development, both LID and I, IMMDI and a few others. Mm-hmm. And Brittany, you and I are working on our applying the culturally relevant leadership learning model article uh, in specific looking at classroom experiences and some of the courses that I teach and some of the out of the classroom co-curricular programming experiences that you've had using mm-hmm. the model as well. Um, so you, as we were just talking about some of the challenges that we're facing in the classroom, you know, students not coming to class and when they are there, not really knowing how to use that time and space effectively. I want to be sensitive to the fact that our student affairs colleagues are facing the same kinds of things in their programming, right? Fewer students coming to programs, not really knowing how to engage well, or even feeling like they can take on those challenges, maybe not having the kind of trust to build the vulnerability it takes for authentic learning. You know, Brittany, what you and I are doing are maybe helping people find some inroads back, back to that in-person programming back to those in-classroom experiences building relationships with students and you know like everything else we put out into the world there's no guarantee that we are going to have the solution Um, Mm -hmm. but i do think the more stories that we all share from across the field the closer we get to solutions right and that there Mm -hmm. might not be a singular answer to every problem that we face but knowing how different people adapt and adjust and overcome gives us, builds that resilience, right? That same kind of resilience we will hope students take with them into their leadership practices we can take into our teaching and learning practices as well. Yeah, yeah I have a follow-up question. Oh, it's only fair. I had follow-up I, questions yeah. for everybody else. You don't it's get away from fair. follow-up questions, okay? <laughs> yeah. So I'm thinking about changing the narrative that mm-hmm. is now almost, what, five years old? Yeah, That's it's, wild. It's, it's old, um, old enough to go to first grade almost. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it is. It's starting school. Right. Um, but thinking about, you know, books are written typically a year and a half, two years before they really um, hit people's hands. So these are the publication yeah. dates. So even that is the 2016, 2017, mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. you all started that. And it, same with Shifting the Mindset, really, really kicked off pre-COVID, right? Mm-hmm. I know it was published during COVID because of mm-hmm. timelines and things too. But sure. as you think about, um, for folks who are unfamiliar, changing the narrative and the mindset typically start with some um, specific population conversation at the beginning. And it's a kind of a putting it to practice in the second mm-hmm. half. Mm-hmm. As you think about you and Dr. Guthrie envisioning that second half, the putting it to practice after COVID, what topics could we look forward to and what that might look different than the first two books? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, we're looking at a few different environmental types. So one of Mm -hmm. the things, for example, we haven't really done a great job with in our past two books was the community engagement piece. Mm -hmm. And so we're definitely trying to bring more of the community engagement aspect of the outreach, the service kinds of things that aren't traditional, you know, Mm -hmm. for credit classes or programmatic uh, events that happen on a college campus in a student union or in a fraternity or sorority house. We really want to diversify the environments where people are working. 
working or at least acknowledgement of the places where people are working. Mm -hmm. And I would say the other big thing we're trying to, I'm trying to orient toward, especially as we're talking about committing to action is measurable outcomes. You know, Mm -hmm. all of us are living and working in this environment, even those of us that are say outside of student affairs or higher education, where accountability is taken on brand new meaning, right? And so when we say we're going to be using people's time, using people's energy, using uh, institutions, financial or physical resources, what are we gaining from those investments? And that is a little bit of a pro-capitalistic way of approaching things. And yet we we live in a capitalistic world, right? And so we're mm-hmm. trying to balance the yes. Yes, we should be doing it for more than just capitalistic purposes. And we live in a world where this is how things are measured. So mm-hmm. trying to figure out of the people who are doing research, what is the best of the research that we can draw from of people who are doing things like evaluation and assessment? What is that evaluation and assessment data telling us? And how can we inspire people to measure their own impact uh, Mm -hmm. more effectively or more robustly so that when anybody gets pointed at and says, prove to me that what you do works, that what you do matters, that we should Mm -hmm. keep supporting it or funding it, they have data and evidence to suggest that what they're doing is appropriate and Mm -hmm. not just, you know, here's what I'm doing and why it works, but also to give them the leverage to say, and here's why I need more, right? Here's why Mm -hmm. I need more people. Here's why I need more money. Here's why I need more space. Because at a time when all of higher ed is under scrutiny, uh, we want our leadership educators to be some of the best protected people because Mm -hmm. we've already seen the costs of what running higher ed looks like without leadership programming, without leadership training, without leadership education, without leadership development. And that's a future I don't think any of us can risk. But thanks. I appreciate the the opportunity to share some of that. Well, I think as we were talking about like student socialization and just the ways of being kind of post-pandemic, I think it'll be interesting to see what emerges and what folks are saying around um, Mm -hmm. that. Again, the putting it to practice, the contextual piece that is so interesting. I think even when you go to ANASPA, ACPA, LEI, any of those conferences we go to, that is, I feel like what's really at the forefront of people's practical scholarship is talking about how do we keep moving forward and building off of even some of um, Dr. Guthrie and Dr. Priest's uh, complexity book, right? Of like, how do we move forward um, given our new context, our new ways of being? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, So with that being said, let's take a short break and we'll be right back with more from the NASPA Leadership Podcast production team. Unlike uh, many of our other episodes where we ask our guests to respond to a topic taken from recent headlines, today we're going to instead talk about what we are working on in the spring and beyond. How does that sound, everybody? Wonderful. (laughs) The enthusiasm has just gone through the room. Over the room. It's so good. (laughs) To give you all a chance to get warmed up again, um, we can go in reverse order from before, which means I'll start us off. Uh, As many of you know, I've been at the University of Illinois since January of 2019, uh, but this will be my last semester here in Urbana-Champaign. I've accepted a position back at FSU in the College of Education as teaching faculty starting in fall of 2023. Congrats! Thanks! 
While I am definitely thankful for my time in the Midwest, I'm also very excited to be returning to the Southeast and to serve one of my alma maters in this capacity. Uh, I was also recently named the incoming associate editor for the New Directions uh, for Student Leadership. And speaking of traveling, I will be visiting the University of Tampa in about a week and a day from the time we're recording this episode. Uh, and immediately after the NASPA annual conference in Boston, April 1st to the 5th, I will be spending some time on the campus of Johns Hopkins University as their Laban lecturer. So as now we've all been define talking, what a Laban lecture is. Go yeah, ahead and so, just define that for us. <laughs> sure. So this is a lecture, uh, an annual lecture series um, that is sponsored by Gary Laban, who is the donor that makes this event uh, ha uh, possible. And if I'm remembering the history correctly, they had taken a pause for uh, pandemic-related purposes and lots of mm -hmm. other kinds of things that were happening on their campus. And so this, in some ways, represents the triumphant return of the Laban Lecture Series. Cool. So I'm very happy to be the person to help um, start kick, kick this off once again for them. Uh, so yeah, it should be great. I think I'm going to get to spend some time with their, with their faculty, with their staff, with some of their graduate students in the engineering program. And I'm just really looking forward to a couple of days being on a campus I've never been to before, spending time mm -hmm. with people that I wouldn't normally have access to. And, you know, as somebody who <clears throat> has a PhD in higher education, I'm always curious to see, like, so how is the campus laid out? How do people interact with one another? Mm -hmm. what's, what's your bookstore like? Uh, what's so, your bookstore like? Yeah, like mm -hmm. trying to trying to see as much as I possibly can on that trip uh, while, while I'm there. So, yeah, we've all been talking about traveling for work and for school, for job search purposes and other kinds of things. And I am not immune to that. I'll be doing a fair amount of traveling this semester as well. Yeah. Anna, you updated our audience right before me, which makes you the next to go. Can you tell us a little bit about your plans for the future? Sure. Well, I'm super excited you're coming to campus, V. I think really sharing the knowledge on culturally relevant leadership learning and how social education and leadership education are intertwined or can be intertwined in our work. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to having you present that to our staff. So V's doing a workshop with our student affairs staff because leadership educators are everywhere across mm -hmm. campus, right? Mm -hmm. So we apply this work in, in many different ways and this will be more of a co-curricular um, staff that will attend the, the workshop and then just to, to students. So for me, really the future has been interesting. I am taking that pause to rest and enjoy my new role as director here. Um, integrating what we call our Spartan Ready competencies, so career readiness competencies, and, and how those are intertwined to student leadership development, and then revisioning what that can look like for our students here on campus. I'm also in my fifth, oh, in my sixth year, I started my sixth year here at University of Tampa, and so it's been wonderful working with this group of students as part of a co-curricular leadership development program, so I'm currently teaching um, our leadership capstones course, but it's also been a challenge. So I, I'm very lucky because I get to teach the students that are juniors in my program, and we've really built a foundation of trust throughout the years that they've been in the program. So the discussions are super rich. They really dive in, and I know students are on different different levels of the political spectrum. They have very different values and beliefs, and we enter into really difficult dialogue. And my approach as an educator is not necessarily to change any student's mind, but just provide them with a way that just society has influenced how students develop as leaders or leadership theories, right? So really as an educator, starting from that foundational point is so important. And that's why it's, mm -hmm. it, it is a, 
a foundational element of this course and of the text. And um, also just to me, it's a nonpartisan issue. So it's so interesting that we're in this space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And while I would love to hear from Derek and Brittany on this topic, uh, they actually aren't protected enough to share their perspectives. So I won't put you in that position. Uh, however, Brittany, I do want to hear a little bit about what you're looking forward to in the future. Yeah, I think there's there's lots in the next semester of um, defending a dissertation and hopefully becoming an old doctor mm -hmm. um, this this upcoming semester, which is exciting. So um, being able to do some of that and that good work, um, thinking the book will be coming out, not in spring, but um, hopefully early fall, but we'll hopefully get some good page proofs and um, be able to start sharing about it. Um, we've already had some undergrads proofread the chapters and gotten amazing feedback. And then some of our endorsements, um, from Dr. Susan Comabez and Dr. Natasha Terman, we got some good feedback from them too, of, um, just where they think, um, some of this will come out in prevalence and audience and all that good stuff too. So some of that, um, B, we've sent, mentioned some of the NDSL work we have coming out that I think is, you know, I was having this conversation last week with a colleague from another institution, but I think really, you know, in COVID, I think we got to do a lot of like the philosophical dreaming in our field, right? What is the meta of leadership education? Why do we do it? What are the big questions of our field? Mm -hmm. And what I'm really excited to see shifting is I think we're getting back to a lot of the like practical scholarship, right? Mm -hmm. um, so how do you and I write about co-curricular and curricular leadership, not from a sense of um, scholarship and philosophical frameworks, but really from like you and I give tangible examples in there of like, here's what happened. Here's how we used it. Here's pushback we got, right? Here's where we ran detentions with like it not landing the way we wanted. We, we get to really write about that um, and the lived experience in the classroom. So that's what I'm excited to see. Um, and I think new directions for student leadership and some of the forthcoming issues is really doing some of that good practical scholarship of how we um, sit at those tensions. So really wondering um, kind of where that's headed with our field. I think even my question about committing to action was from that place, right? Of like what what can we take away from things like as someone who's in that practitioner place too? So um, we also, um, I will be at NASPA. Um, one of my presentations is on, um, we have a time study that we've been doing of 90 vice president for student affairs, associate assistant and vice president for student affairs and directors. Um, and we tracked their time over seven days to say how mm. we use our time and do work-life balance conversations. How do we manage priorities? Um, all of that. So really um, interested to see. I'm in kind of the analysis phase of that again, alongside a dissertation, which is mm. just really, I wouldn't recommend, um, <laughs> but is really interesting um, and teaching yourself new software and things too. But that will be something we present at NASPA along with the um, AVP steering committee is sponsoring that. So shout out to our friends there, but I'm um, excited to just have conversations. I think again, coming out of COVID of the work-life balance conversation, the managing priorities and expectations and especially for women who are in um, some precarious places of mm. navigating the, all of those things. Um, and then also this summer, so not necessarily in spring, but in summer, I'm teaching um, a women in higher ed doctoral class that oh. is, um, I'm presiding um, the great Dr. Um, Robert Schwartz, who created and taught that class. He's the only one that's ever taught it. So I'm sitting at late spring, early summer with some of the pressure of preparing for that and how to do that well. And I consider him to be one of my my best mentors. So mm -hmm. how do I um, sit in that class and just be able to give credit? And it's also a class that's not just um, students in our program. So it's usually students across the institution and making sure we're um, able to bring in different disciplines and other places too. So I've been starting to think about that, even though I need to 
get to beginning of March 1st and then <laughs> think about that. I'm just getting excited about um, what that means. It'll be my first time lead instructing a grad class alone, which I think is really good mm-hmm. too. So that will be a good growth moment to look forward to as well. So I think that's what I'm doing. And the podcast is going to keep coming out. That's I've put it on recording now. It's going to keep coming to you <laughs> every other week. We have some really good guests that we've sent some asks out for. So we um, are excited to share with you all soon who is coming in, but having good conversations are in. Again, really sitting in the practical scholarship place of um, getting scholars on here and practitioners who are able to have good conversations around where where we're headed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have two questions for you, Brittany, about your in, in higher ed course. Uh, number one, is it an in-person course? Yes. Okay. And then the second yes. question, is, can, can I take it? Yes. <laughs> You might have moved here by then. It's the last six weeks. So you can oh, come yeah. on over. Come yeah, hang. A, I might not get the book right away, but I'll definitely. That's totally fine. Well, as you know, with Dr. Bob's classes, it's five books over five weeks. Oh, that's so, right. So yeah, right. you, have, you... you have plenty of time to catch up with the book that's currently happening that week. That's right. Um, but yeah, for folks that are for listening to, if you ever think about having this class, he starts the class with The Handmaid's Tale, um, mm-hmm. which is always really mm-hmm. fun for students in doc courses to be like, you want us to read like a classic American piece of li- like that's what you want us to start with. And it's not like a history book. It's not any of that. So it's a really fun way to start the class and have conversation. And he did it before the TV show came out. So now mm-hmm, students really mm-hmm. want to talk about the TV show too. So mm-hmm. really having both, but, um, and then really diving into this one specifically in a higher ed context. Our other courses are usually more broadly education, but what is the women's history specifically around their work at institutions and especially women's colleges and their influence. Florida State started as a college for women. Um, so us being able to pull in that context is really helpful in this course. So yeah, anyone can come along. Awesome guest lectures on Zoom. You all can come in. <laughs> yeah, bo- books in a Schwartz class are like potato chips. You can't stop at just one. No, you, <laughs> not just one, five. <laughs> five books, one for every week. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing, Brittany. Derek, you are swimming anchor for us today. What's in store for you? Um, so I guess I'll do short term. Something I forgot to mention, I'll be doing some more traveling in the future. Mm-hmm. I'll actually be going to London for our program's international practicum. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to a, go abroad as a master's student. I had the opportunity to go. And then, as we know, the lovely COVID-19 kind of ruined those plans. Um, so I'm excited to get the opportunity to be able to travel again, um, minus not seeing Queen Elizabeth and having to see King Charles, mm-hmm. which opinions could differ on all of those things. And I'm not going to open that can of worms here, but um, I'm excited to be able to go and do that. And honestly learn, I, I guess like a quick fun fact about me, I hold uh, a certificate in international education from Cambridge that I got in high school. So although we won't be going to Cambridge, I'm excited to kind of be immersed in like AS and A-level education and seeing how that translates into international higher education as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that's a lot of things that aren't talked about here in the United States as much as they probably should, because a lot of them are foundational to what our programs kind of look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the future, I'm still continuing with my role in the student leadership programs knowledge community here with the podcast, but I also serve as the team lead for our whole communications team. So that'll be a lot of fun. A lot of Instagram posts will be coming soon um, for the national conference. Uh, annual conference, excuse me, and everything from NASPA as well. Um, and I also have the opportunity to present two sessions at NASPA, one on an evolution of Latinx leadership in higher education. And actually, Brittany and I will be presenting along with mm-hmm. our colleague, Ashley Archer-Doling, a presentation on 
basically I the running title escapes my head right now, but it's basically yeah. how do we empower campus leaders um, with short-term socially just leadership education, where we actually present a model that we kind of did on the yeah. fly, to be honest, but yeah. it, it works. So we, we think it works. So you can come to our session and tell us if it does or it doesn't. Um, <laughs> and it's actually sponsored by the students in the student leadership programs, knowledge community. So mm-hmm. it's, we appreciate them always. Um, with that sponsorship, and it'll also be on NASPA Live as well. So if you can't come in person or NASPA Virtual, mm-hmm. sorry, it'll be on NASPA Virtual. So you'll have the opportunity to either come in person or see us virtually, um, but we'll be presenting that in Boston as well. So we're excited for all of that. Um, in terms of academics, I'm just excited to get more into writing. Um, I know we all complained about writing, and I'm here like, oh, that's going <laughs> to no, be me. No, no, it's, it's, it is a tension. It's a mm-hmm. joy right. and a and a hindrance sometimes. A joy and a curse. Yeah. <laughs> and I know I'm excited to do all of that to get started. I'm currently in the process of a book review that'll be submitted to an ASPA journal. So keep on the lookout for that. Nice. Um, and also just engaging in any way that I can. I always say higher education folks, leadership folks are lifelong learners. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just important to see that. I'm excited to also grow more in my topical area, my research area of looking at um, diversity, equity, and inclusion programs in the state of Florida, dot, 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 um, with Caribbean mm-hmm. American students on predominantly white institutions. So seeing how mm-hmm. we engage in that narrative of including not just Latinx people or people of other identities, but also specifically looking at individuals who come from the Caribbean, especially in the state of Florida with such a high population of those individuals as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to see how I just grow in this field and grow as a human being. Yeah, And that's the goal, right? To keep us all growing together. So in my dissertation, I did an interview with a student last week that gave me a really good icebreaker question I used in class that I want us to out- outro with. Mm, okay. um, so her original question was, what color is your brain? Like, if you think about the way your brain operates, what color would you use to describe it as? Right? Like, how are your thoughts? Um, how does your brain navigate? And then her follow-up question that she asked a friend was, what color is your, is your body perceived as? And then if those aren't the same color, then what does that say? Authenticity, right? Mm. Of like, how do you show up transparently to people in your lives? Mm-hmm. But I asked my class last week, what color is their leadership? If they had to describe their leadership and how they show up in space. Um, and it was a really good question to use in class. So I'm giving permission for folks listening to the podcast to use that in your space. But I want us to answer it before we leave. What color is our leadership? I can start because I already answered the question before. Um, but I talked in class about um, in the year of Pantone as well, sitting at my, like a magenta. Because um, mm. I think about often I try to show up with energy, right? So like almost like a bright pink pattern, right? Of like energy and excitement and um, some joy in the space, but also being a little warmer than a hot pink. Because I think I've learned mm. in COVID, I think we all learned to cultivate empathy, right? And from coming from a place of care, um, and warmth and being able to just pull people into process. So I think I'm sitting at a magenta in my current leadership process. That's a great answer. And I'm not just saying that to stall for time. Like that actually is a really great answer. I also had a student answer with this like beautiful, um, she said forest green and it was like a really different color people had said. And she had this beautiful metaphor about forests and the like calming nature of a forest green. Like we see it on a tree. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of good answers, but mm. yes. What is y'all's leadership color? I can go ahead and answer that. I think I have, hopefully I have a good answer in my head as well. But um, for me, I think a lot about how my leadership is reflective of like my childhood and how I grew up and maybe the leader that I, like we're all engaged in leadership process, but I guess the way I wanted to become a leader back then and how I'm trying to manifest that 
into now. So I think a lot about TV shows that I used to watch and specifically this will be a weird connection. I remember seeing Blue's Clues growing up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Blue's Clues, they always introduce this one character called, and I always butcher the name, Chartreuse, like that greenish oh, chartreuse, yeah, color. Yeah, yeah. That's my color of leadership, I think, because mm-hmm. it's reflective of that timepiece in my life, right, of where I wanted mm-hmm. to grow. And I think we're all growing, right? Like we mentioned earlier as individuals. But I think it was that character showed like a fun, bubbly, welcoming, inclusive nature, right? Even just mm-hmm. in like a, 20 minute you know tv episode for like kids right but i think Mm -hmm. because of that that's the color of my leadership because i want to be able to exude that in a way that i think a lot of us don't and i don't think us on the call but i think a lot of people don't know how to have fun (laughs) in their jobs and i think your your jobs are tiring and we go back to the whole capitalism conversation right but i Mm -hmm. think it's important to know that sometimes our jobs are fun right and we need to Mm -hmm. we need to find that sometimes because that's what helps us rest and helps us gain that critical perspective on a lot of different things that we may need. Hopefully that was a fun and a good. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Anna, do you need more time? I'm having a hard time. Yeah. I'm having a hard time with this question just because I think it's so unique to every individual and mm-hmm. then like picking one color to me, it's, you know, so many yeah. mm-hmm. like a kaleidoscope. Mm-hmm. Or then I'm, I'm thinking, should I have gone with Brown? That's all of them mixed together <laughs> or something or black, but then that yeah. seems like yeah. it, just because we all approach this so differently and we engage mm-hmm. in leadership so differently mm-hmm. and it, it is so complex. So I don't even know if I could pick a, like an mm-hmm. absence of color. Yeah. <laughs> mm. So would that, would that be black? I don't know. But then that seems so dark and negative. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm such a, like, I come to this work with a positive lens. So mm-hmm. I didn't, it didn't give you really an answer, I guess. That's Okay. <laughs> For some reason, Anna, I interpreted your answer as off black. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it's Agreed. all the colors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe all the colors mixed together like a without black. the without the negative connotation typically associated with darker colors, maybe. Yeah. Off black. Fanta black. <laughs> uh I'm gonna pick teal and I have like a little teal sharpie here that I'm, I'm showing the production team. Uh and I'm picking teal because teal to me is uh, a combination of blue and green. And to me, the mm-hmm. the blue side is sort of the administrative, bureaucratic, systems-oriented aspect to leadership. Like, I'm often looking for patterns and things, and, and sometimes mm-hmm. I see patterns that are there, and, and sometimes I see patterns that aren't there. I just want to see them. Um, mm-hmm. But my mind has a natural tendency toward that sort of bluer way of thinking about leadership but i think the way that i try to teach it and the way that i try to talk to other people about it is very like growth oriented and humanistic Mm -hmm. and i I very much try to put myself in other people's shoes before i offer advice or before i try to provide commentary on something i think Mm -hmm. i see is happening so for me the the teal represents the combination of the blue the blue bureaucratic administrative system but also the green growth oriented humanistic person-centered way of how leadership gets done yeah. So I'm going to go with Teal. Thanks for adapting to my challenge. I just wanted, for friends who wanted a practical thing to use in their space, it, um, mm. again, all credit to my dissertation participant that, that gave this question, but it was a good way for my students to describe their leadership style without saying like, oh, I'm like strong or I'm mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. like I'll go, I'm a, you know, I'm an extroverter using the kind of those um, everyday phrases that we hear a lot of our students use. This was a new way for them to get, use that creative side of their brain um, to think kind of of a metaphor of it too, so. Feel free to take it into your spaces. And if you see me at NASPA, tell me if it went okay. 
Yeah, that's great, Purdue. Thanks for thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, as we wrap up our time together today, I want to thank the production team for sharing their updates and future plans and pedagogical strategies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> thanks, B. A little as, trick at the end. Right. That's right. That's right. And as a reminder, you can hear more from us and our guests on this season of the NASPA SLPKC podcast. That's all for today. We'll catch you next time. The NASPA SLPKC podcast is a production of the Student Affairs Administrators and Higher Education's Student Leadership Programs Knowledge Community. As the leading voice of student affairs, NASPA drives innovation and evidence-based, student-centered practice throughout higher education, nationally and globally. The mission of the SLPKC is to serve as a resource for higher education professionals who have an interest in leadership training, education, and development. The podcast is produced by Derek Pacheco and hosted by Brittany Devies, Anna Maya, and me, Vichanu. The music featured on our episodes comes from pixabay.com. Find us on Twitter at NASPA Tweets, send email to slpchairs at gmail.com, and find links to our references from this episode in the show notes. Thank you, as always, for listening.